Inside the Draft is back for the final time with the recap of the 2022 NFL Draft. It's in the books. I'm Matt Taylor with Casey Vallier, and we're breaking down the Colts draft and going around the NFL a little bit today with our good friend. Joining us is Jeff Diamond, the former general manager of the Minnesota Vikings and the Tennessee Titans. And, Jeff, it's great to have you back on again for another year. Let's start off with the Colts draft, get right into it. A very high athletic draft, uh, high on versatility. The Colts wanted to get more explosive this offseason, especially on offense. What did you make of what the Colts brought in this past weekend as it relates to impact from guys as rookies in year one? Yeah, I think I think first when you evaluate the Colts draft, you start with Matt Ryan <laughs> and getting him for a third-round pick I thought was really a, an excellent move for the Colts, and, and I think he, he'll be an upgrade from Carson Wentz. It kind of reminded me of when I traded for Warren Moon when I was Vikings GM in the mid-90s and, and traded a, a couple of fourth-round picks, which I guess would be equivalent to a third, to get Warren Moon. At that point, he was about 37, 38 years old. And Matt Ryan, of course, right now, I think he's he's 36 or whatever. And we've we got some great play from Warren Moon out for, for uh, several years and helped us win a division title his first year in Minnesota. So... I could see comparisons there and bringing in a, a really top caliber uh, player and leader that Matt Ryan is. So you start there, and then you give Matt Ryan a nice new weapon in, in Alec, Alec Pierce, who I think could be a really good fit immediately with Michael Pittman as as potential starting wide receiver. And, and he's, a, as you said, very athletic. Uh, sounds like he's a, a smart guy and big guy at, at 6'3 and 2'11 and and had good productions at Cincinnati, so so he's an exciting guy. And and Jelani Woods, he he could be uh, just a, a phenomenal pick uh, for Chris Ballard out of this draft. And in terms of his athleticism, a big guy at six seven, and and still runs a four six. And I think he's a really good addition after Jack Doyle's retirement, and and a good pair with potentially with with Mo Ali Cox and. Uh, down the road, it may take some development there, but but he is definitely uh, fast and can run, and his blocking is pretty good and can improve. And, and I'm sure they'll work with him on that. And and then Ryman, uh, a really interesting pick out of Central Michigan. I think he's a guy that that um, some have projected much higher in the draft. And and uh, what what caught my attention he only allowed one sack each of the last two seasons so that that's good stuff there as a potential starting left tackle down the road and and uh i thought i thought chris bauer did very well without a first round pick in this draft and made made a, a, a trade up uh, to get cross and and um he looks like a, a again a very athletic guy runs what really well at about four three and and so just, uh, I think overall some good picks. I think a real sleeper guy could be that Curtis Brooks from Cincinnati, the defensive lineman, and just kind of studying him and seeing how highly rated he he has been in his college career on on pass rush and, and run defense and and all that. So Curtis Brooks could be a guy as he develops that he could be a real sleeper out of this draft. So I, I think the the Colts did very well. Now, Jeff, before we dive into just kind of player-specific, I want to talk about that trait we talked about with the athleticism. From your estimate, is this something that, you know, has kind of been always important when you look at the draft, or is it just been that we have just started to realize here as of late? 
No, I think it's always been important. Uh, I, I think that that you you certainly in an age of specialization with players, you, you definitely want guys who will fit your systems and all that. But but athletes, first and foremost, the ability to to to, be, to play. And I, I always told our scouts when we got in the draft room, uh, and and they start to analyze the measurables, the speed, the height and weight and all that, I, I would say, okay, what kind of athlete are there and how do they play in college on the field? And I, I remember we had guys like Anthony Carter, Chris Carter as, as tremendous receivers, and, and they might have run 4-6 back in the day, 4-5-5, five, five, but, but when the ball is in the air, they know how to go get it and make plays and get open. And so from, from that standpoint, again, the athleticism is, is just so critical and I think that's something that, that Chris Ballard obviously pays attention to, and most GMs today do. And, and you look at, at the overall first round of the draft, and you can just see that kind of athletic ability and, and see these six wide receivers taken in the first 18 picks. And, yeah, yeah. And some of these edge rushers, guys like Walker and Hutchinson, and, and even some of the some of the top corners, Stingley and, Gard- and Sauce Gardner. I mean, these are really athletic guys, good players, and I think they've got a great future in the league. Jeff, when you look at Alec Pierce for the Colts, how does he translate in year one? Um, does he remind you of anybody in the league today? And, and just what kind of role do you see from him as a rookie here in Indianapolis? Yeah, I, I do think that, that he and Michael Pittman are, are a potential great pair for Matt Ryan, and I, I could see him starting year one. Um, we'll see what happens with T.Y. Hilton in his future, but I just see Alec Pierce as a, as a guy with a lot of upside. As you said, the athleticism, the smarts that he brings. As far as the comparison, hard hard to say. Uh, I know some people have talked about a, a Jordy Nelson yeah. type comparison, and in terms of of his size and and speed and and ability, but we'll see how that plays out. I I think that. One of the things we always have to be careful about in drafts, and I, I always kind of laugh when you get these draft grades from the so- so-called draft experts at, immediately after a draft. And the, the truth of the matter is, nobody really knows mm-hmm. for two to three years mm-hmm. how, how guys are gonna are gonna pan out. And occasionally, you'll get a guy that you know right away in the first year, as happened with a Justin Jefferson up in Minnesota, for example in his rookie year and, and he's continued to play great, but, or Randy Moss, who, who uh, we drafted in my last draft in Minnesota before I headed to Tennessee. And and so sometimes, you know, right away how they fit, but for other guys and, and Alec Pierce may be a guy that, you know, fairly soon if he earns a starting job or it may take some time, but patience is really a key with draft choices. And so it's just, it's just hard to say right out of the shoot on some of these guys, but you certainly can get excited about about their their skill and athletic ability as you study them, and you, and you see guys like Pierce and, and Woods and, and Ryman and Cross and, and even down to a Brooks, that, that there there is a lot of talent there that, that can be cultivated and, and developed, and then it gets turned over to the coaches, and they got to bring these guys along. Now, Jeff, you talked about you know the the impact we saw out of Justin Jefferson. We saw Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, all these all these wide receivers that make huge impacts as a rookie. Do you think that's negatively affecting the position as you know this high expectation that some of these rookies are coming in at? Well, I, I think it has for guys like Jerry Judy and yeah. 
it, it's been it's been tough for for some of the other players when they get compared to to a Jefferson or or or, or some of the other great great players that have come in in recent years and and just the wide receiver position itself is is, is been wild to see how it's risen. For example, in the salary scale, when you see Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill getting these huge twenty-eight million dollar a year deals, and, and wide receivers have have almost doubled what running backs are making on, on the salary scale in terms of the top players, and and so you can see, certainly it's it's a result of of, of a pass heavy league and a pass emphasis league. But for the, for the running backs that are, are versatile players like Jonathan Taylor and Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey, it, it's kind of, I, I would think, very disconcerting for those guys to see these receivers getting paid like they are. And so we'll see what happens some, someday down the road with Jonathan Taylor's up for contract, for example. Right, right. But But for now, it's just really interesting to me how the receivers – it just in the last couple of years have become probably the second highest paid position, even surpassing or getting right even with the, the, the top edge rushers yeah. and behind the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just wide receiver. And, and as you said, it does create an emphasis and a pressure, for example, for for these top receivers and starting with, with Drake London, who was, I guess, the first guy taken mm-hmm. and, and then you had the run on receivers with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and, and a whole bunch of guys that were taken, as we said, with the six in the top 18. And, and then an Alec Pierce in the second round by the Colts. And as a second round pick, he's not going to feel quite that pressure that, that those first rounders do. But yet he, he's certainly a guy that has a, the, the talent to be developed and, and maybe have that kind of impact. Jeff, as, as a former GM, as a guy that has sat in, in, in that chair and, and had to make those tough decisions, you just kind of talked about it. How, how would you handle that? I mean, the A.J. Brown uh, situation in, in Tennessee, the Tyreek Hill deal in, in Kansas City, Devontae Parker with the Packers. Uh, it, you know, if you have a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers, it, it's tough to pay you know that guy 30-plus and then your star receiver 25-plus. I mean that eats up a ton of your salary cap, and then the rest of your roster is like the Dollar General. How how do you how do you view how this is going? What would you have done as a former GM if AJ Brown's banging on your door saying, "I need to get this"? Uh, it's a tough situation to be in because you love the player, but you also have to think you know holistically about the rest of the roster and what you're building long term. Yeah, very difficult, and I, I think it's good news for the Colts to get AJ Brown out of a hundred percent, right? <laughs> but and we'll see how Burks pans out, but he's going to be a rookie this year, so he's not going to have the kind of impact that A.J. Brown would have, obviously, and what he's going to do in Philadelphia as a proven guy. And so, yeah, I think it's very tough, and I can only imagine back in the day if I'd had to deal with Randy Moss's second contract right. and what he would have generated. And so it's tough for these GMs today with these receivers, and as you said, because the the wide receiver does not touch the ball in every play as a quarterback mm-hmm. does. He doesn't even touch the ball as much as a running back does, which is why it's partially partially surprising how the running backs have been downgraded salary wise and the wide receivers upgraded. Right, right. But but that's the, the nature of the game and, and wide receivers you have to game plan against them if they're if they're top guys. It's really tough. But but yeah, I can certainly empathize with with the GMs around the league today 
in terms of having to, to sign these players. And, and, and now from my standpoint, working in the agent world, uh, it's all good <laughs> that we can get our players such as we represent which has all worked out fine but it's it's difficult and I can certainly understand the gnashing of teeth down in Tennessee as they made him a 20 made AJ Brown a 20 million plus a year offer and he refused it and then they ultimately end up having right. to trade him because they know what they're gonna have to pay ultimately to Derek Henry and some right. of these other guys and it's just really tough, but I think it's it just sets up a really fascinating situation around the NFL, and and I think the next guy that that could be breaking the bank could be up here where I, where I'm calling you from up in Minneapolis, where Justin Jefferson yeah. next year could be in the same position as AJ Brown was this year. I mean, AJ Brown, Jeff goes from making four million dollars a year, less than that, to twenty five. It's just. I just don't know if it's sustainable. I mean, are you looking at some of these teams and their situations saying, we've got an Aaron Rodgers, we've got a Patrick Mahomes, no matter who they're throwing to, you know, these quarterbacks will they'll get by, they'll make guys better, they'll elevate certain guys. Is, is that the thinking? Because it's just kind of a, a shrewd decision in terms of letting these wide receivers go. Tough spot to be in. I, I just don't know how this is sustainable long term. Yeah, and again, when you talk about, well, for example <clears> – <throat> Tyreek Hill goes to Miami where Tua is the quarterback and he's making on that rookie deal still probably four or five million dollars. Right, right. And so so then they can justify it. But but if Tua becomes a star and he elevates to that thirty five to forty million dollar a year category, he's got a ways to go to get there. But then all of a sudden things definitely do get tight cap wise and then you have a situation where you gotta restructure contracts and that and that's a, a pain down the road. Uh, and it's tough, and even out in Vegas, uh, where uh, where Devontae Adams now is, but Derek Carr is, is making pretty good money already, and they're talking about possibly extending him. It's it's a it's a tough uh, it's a slippery slope when you're dealing with the salary cap and dealing with these star players and trying to make it all fit together, and yet create that team atmosphere and all everything that goes on there. So, yeah, it, it's a huge huge challenge, no doubt. And teams have to hope that the salary cap keeps growing, which it certainly took a nice increase this year from from the pandem- pandemic year when it went down. And so it's up this year significantly. And I think their hope is with the new TV contracts coming in, revenue from new stadiums, that the cap will continue to rise. But there's no doubt it's, it's a huge challenge. Now, one of the things you, you touched on, I think it's going to bring up the importance of that fifth year for a rookie quarterback. You talk about the amount of money that receivers are making, and you know the, the whole key is you win a Super Bowl under that rookie deal. This year, the NFL kind of stayed away from rookies. We saw one quarterback taken in the first round and then not another one until later. And typically when the NFL does that, they're typically right. Why do you think the media was so off compared to where front offices viewed quarterbacks in this draft? Yeah, I, I just think it was not as strong a quarterback class and, and things run in cycles and next year looks like it's a much stronger quarterback class and probably have uh, three or four in the top 10 again next year. And, and so it, that's just the way it rolls. But, but this year it was a little bit unpredictable and everybody thought Malik Willis would be going, going late first round and lo and behold, he ends up in Tennessee in the third round. And he could be a great pick because we, we know historically there have been other quarterbacks such as Russell Wilson, such as Joe Montana, who were third-round picks. Hey, Tom Brady in the sixth round, 
Drew Brees in the second round. So so you just don't know how it's going to turn out with some of these other quarterbacks that, that were taken down the road. But but I did think it was surprising that only one went in the first round just because of the importance of the quarterback position and, and the fact that especially with all these teams with multiple first-round picks this year, which, which was really fascinating to me. I've, I've never seen a year with eight teams with, with multiple first-round picks right. and conversely eight teams without a first-round pick. And so it's just – uh, it's kind of a crazy situation going on draft-wise, how teams are valuing picks and looking at the Rams and that they traded away all their number ones for the next several years and they still win a Super Bowl uh, with, with veteran guys like Matthew Stafford and, and Jalen Ramsey. And so it's just kind of a crazy league and, and things run in cycles. And, I, and I'm sure that we'll revert back next year and the quarterbacks will be way up on, on the chart again, just as they were back in the day when, when uh, the Colts took Andrew Luck in the first round, first overall. Now I want to take you back to when you were sitting in those chairs. And like I said, you know, the quarterback class was down this year, but as you look into the future, it looks like it's definitely going to be a little more promising next. Does that play into it when you're sitting there and you're like, well, we can take a guy here where he's unproven, but if we look forward to next year, there's that chance. Or do you kind of focus in on what is here and now and not really look too far into the future? I, I think it depends on the team. And if you're if you're a playoff team already, even though you know you you got to win every year, but maybe the desperation isn't there that it is uh-huh. for a, a team such as Jacksonville uh, or Detroit, uh, Houston, some of those teams that were picking early this year and and figured that they had to get good players, but yet looking ahead and and thinking quarterback wise and and uh, obviously the Jags don't need a quarterback, but but Detroit does and and uh, Houston will see on Davis Mills, but but I think that it's it's interesting, and I think that some of these teams that that trade trade into into next year's draft, for example, are definitely looking at at the quarterback class and trying to to get up there next year, get extra picks. And you've got teams such as Philadelphia that have had multiple picks for several years, and I think they do again next year. And so if Jalen Hurts doesn't pan out this year with A.J. Brown and with the other talent that he's got in there, then perhaps next year it's going to be a situation where where a team like the Eagles is going to jump on one of those quarterbacks early. And that's what makes the draft such an interesting event every year. And so we'll just see how it all plays out. Jeff, who else had a great draft around the NFL? Which uh, drafts impressed you from this past weekend? I, I, I thought that, that the Ravens did some really good things and getting getting the center and Kyle Hamilton, uh, an excellent safety, um, the, the Iowa center. I, I thought that the Jets and mm-hmm. the Giants yeah, impressed yeah. me yep. with, with their drafts. And, of course, when, you, when you've got – with three first round picks, it's hard to go wrong. But I, but I, I really like the, the Jets' picks of uh, that that they were able to do. Soft Gardner, Garrett Wilson, uh, one of the better receivers, one of the top corners, and then you get Jermaine Johnson later in that first round. I I thought that was excellent. Detroit was another team I thought did did very well uh, to to get Hutchinson and uh, and then make the trade up with the Vikings and and, and pick up. Uh, pick up a, a receiver that they like, and and so it's it's I think from from the standpoint of of what happened in this draft, there's um, there's some some really good stuff that happened. 
not necessarily all the teams, but a lot of the teams. And and as I said, the Giants too. I thought their two first round picks uh, get Evan Neal, one of the top offensive linemen, and and get Thibodeau, who we'll see about his personality, how it translates, and and all that. But he certainly got edge rusher great ability. So lots of teams did really well, and I think. Without having a first-round pick, I, I salute the Colts for for their draft. Yeah, but as we, as we said, we really won't know for a couple of years how it all plays out, and and that's that's the beauty of the draft too. That all of a sudden you get some of these players down the line who become great players, such as that the Seattle draft back in in the years when they were building that championship team. Yeah, who knew Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor? They were fifth-round picks and. Bobby Wagner, a second-round pick, Russell Wilson, a third-round pick, and they become the backbone of, of a championship team. So you just really don't know. Well, final thing for me, Jeff, when you look at this Colts draft, and they definitely went high on offense early on with Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods, what's a realistic expectation for those two guys as a rookie? You know, when you Let's say you were in that draft chair and you select these guys. When you're looking at expectations, what would you kind of peg them at as a rookie? I would peg Alec Pierce as a guy that could well start this year, and I would expect him to start with his ability and, and just be a, a great compliment to Michael Pittman for, for, for Matt Ryan. I think Jelani Woods is more of a, a developmental guy, and, yeah, he can get on the field and, and do some special things with his size and speed, but, but Mo Alley-Cox is still the main guy at tight end, and, and Ryman's another guy. We'll see how how fast they try to move him along, and he could be a starter in his first year. <clears throat> we'll see. I, I think he's probably going to back up early on, but we know how, depending on how rookies come along, how quickly they get coached up, and I think that's one of the advantages to to the offseason program now with OTAs and and mini camps and and all that that you can develop these players, and, and when they come to training camp they should know the system or be relatively well-versed in it so, so they can develop quicker. So, yeah, I mean, my expectation is, especially for Pearson, he's a a playmaker in year one, Woods not so much year one, and Ryman perhaps year one. And so I, I think that they're going to do well with those guys. And then, as we said, there's some really other interesting guys. Nick Cross could earn a starting job at safety. Mm-hmm. And and I think Curtis Brooks could be an impact player very early on with his ability. So I think it's, it's an exciting time in Indianapolis, and, and I think that the Colts have an opportunity to, to make a really good run at, at the Titans in the AFC South. Hey, Jeff, final one. Now that the draft is over, what's as a former GM, what's on your radar now? We've had undrafted free agents signed. Where's your attention between now and training camp in terms of roster building as a general manager? Yeah, I think you're you're kind of looking for that almost the third tier free agency, even though most teams are close to the 90 player limit. But mm-hmm. but maybe there's a couple of guys that that you may have said, well, let's see how things go in the draft. It might be a, a T.Y. Hilton, for example, that you would say, okay, we'll bring you back at at a reduced salary. Uh, figuring your role may be lessened a little bit with Pierce here, but but still have a, a a spot and and other players like that around the league. Some of the free agents that did not get signed early on that were waiting for opportunities, and teams said, "Hey, let's see how how we sit after the draft." So there's still going to be some free agent signings 
as rosters are filled out. And, 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 and there's still some pretty top players out there in the market, too, that teams are going to look at and consider bringing in. It's just It gets tougher as time goes on just because the salary cap shrinks for teams yeah. and, and, and the roster ability. But there will still be a, a lot of signings coming as we go through through May and approach training camp and even, even on through training camp as players get hurt and so forth. So it's still the roster building is still a main focus, and, and yet now you're really excited to go out and watch the rookies perform in, mini, in, in the rookie minicamp and then out into OTAs and see how, how they fit with the veterans. And, and so there, there's a lot to do. And, and then finally you get to end of June and, and catch your breath a little bit before <laughs> trading camp. <laughs> yeah, get that little bit of sliver of time between, you know, the end of mini camp and training camp to kind of reset and then get ready for the grind. That's Jeff Diamond, former GM in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings and the Tennessee Titans. Jeff, always appreciate the time and the insight. You know your stuff, man. We appreciate your recap in the draft with us every year. Thanks so much again. And, uh, hey, enjoy some time off for you. And hopefully spring comes sooner than later up there in Minnesota. You can get out and uh, get on the lake and enjoy some R&R, my friend. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And all the best to you guys. And, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon.